Hello, welcome back, friends of the Forge. In the last episode, we covered verse 3 of the book of Jude. So we are in the book of Jude. We've covered verses 1, 2, and 3. And we're working through this short letter following what's called an inversion pattern. And I want to remind you what we mean by an inversion pattern. We're going to follow a certain outline until we get to the center of that outline. And then the outline is going to repeat itself in reverse order, basically. And that's what we mean by inversion. So we've covered at this point the first theme, assurance for the believer in verses 1 and 2. And then we covered the believer in the faith in verse 3. And now we're moving on to verse 4, where we're going to cover apostates described. Apostates described. And just as a short reminder, um, I, you know, I would encourage you to go back, if you've taken notes or if you've listened to the other episodes, um, go back and see where we are in the outline and see if you can find on your own where these ideas are mentioned again the second time as you're going through the book of Jude. You know, for example, um, the believer in the faith is in verse 3, and you're going to find that same idea repeated again in verses 24 and 25. And likewise, here in verse 4, you're going to find the theme of verse 4 repeated in verses 17 through 19. So for right now, let's just focus only on verse 4 as we pause our hearts and minds for the reading of God's word. Here in Jude, verse 4, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here in verse 4, we have this menacing presence. There is an unannounced, uninvited, and totally unwelcomed intruder in the house of the Lord. You know, this is Jude writing to us, but this is the voice of God for his people. And so what does that mean? I want you to think about that for a moment. It means that reading this book is absolutely essential for anyone who wants to live and die in Christ. Now, if you remember back to the other episodes I have done on this letter from Jude, there's three other episodes before this. I did an introduction, then verse 1 and 2, and verse 3. And so here we are in verse 4. I talked about how it seems that we've got a letter that was written and a letter unwritten. Well, in this short verse, we see this unlocked for us a little bit more. Verse 4 gives us the occasion of the letter. Where verse 3 told us to contend for the faith, verse 4 actually tells us why we should contend for the faith. That very first word, for, F-O-R. Jude is saying, here's the reason you should contend for the faith. You should contend for the faith because certain men have come into your fellowship. So what about those certain men? Well, let's look at it. Let's read on here. Let's take a look at this next phrase. He says, certain men have crept in unnoticed. Unnoticed. 
And this means that these men were obviously troublemakers. They've slipped in. He uses the phrase crept in unnoticed. And I like what R.C. Sproul says about this. Quote, apparently these men have come from the outside, outside this particular church that Jude is addressing, perhaps posing as itinerant prophets or teachers. In another very short letter in 2 John, we're warned not to receive someone who does not bring the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine already presented by the apostles. So let's unpack how Jude describes these certain men coming into the fellowship and they're bringing some other doctrine than that which was already presented by the apostles. We get an idea of what Jude thinks of these men from the words that he uses. First of all, we see that they have crept in unnoticed. Crept in unnoticed. This sounds very sneaky, doesn't it? And by verse 8, Jude calls them dreamers who defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil. In verse 10, he goes on to say that they speak evil of whatever they do not know. And he compares them to brute beasts who are corrupt. And verse 12, Jude calls them spots on the church's love feasts. Spots on their love feasts who have no fear and serve only themselves. He calls them clouds without water. Clouds without water. And that would mean a lot in a culture where they were more aware of the importance of agriculture than we seem to be here in the uh, West, anyway, here in the U.S. He says they're clouds without water. He says they are carried about by the winds. And this is just another reference to their own instability. He calls them trees without fruit, twice dead, and pulled up by the roots. In verse 16, he calls them grumblers, complainers, and lustful people. He says they only speak flattering words so they can gain an advantage. Friends, these are certainly not good people. And we're going to develop this a little bit later, but for now, getting back to verse 4, we see that Jude states of these people that they, quote, long ago, were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. You know, the Bible is full of various prophecies about the coming and the condemnation of ungodly men. It says they are going to come, they are going to be among us, and it says that they are condemned. Um, it's, um, there's places even here in the book of Jude where you could look at verses 14 and 15, where Jude makes reference to uh, Enoch prophesying about this very thing. In verses 17 and 18, he refers to the apostles' warnings that were given about this kind of mockery that would come. Uh, Jeremiah 22, verse 30 is an Old Testament reference, and Revelation 17, 8 is a New Testament reference. And they also tell us of the future 
for the wicked. And it's not a good future for the wicked. And Jeremiah and Revelation are both books of prophecy. And I just point that out to you because, again, we have a harmony between the Old and the New Testaments. The point is, is that throughout Scripture, um, it's in more than one place, we are told that the wicked people will be here, that we will see them coming, and that they will be condemned. But what exactly, though, are these false teachers doing here that Jude is addressing? Well, first, they're perverting the grace of our God into sensuality, as I touched on a little bit in the last episode. And the second thing they're doing is they are denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to think of this is to think of it this way. They are taking advantage of God's grace and they were setting aside his authority. And I'm going to come back to that, setting aside his authority. There was someone in the 1500s, his name was Joannes Agricola. And he was a friend of Martin Luther. And he stated uh, in a sermon, I guess, that he was preaching or he was addressing someone. He said, art thou steeped in sin, an adulterer or a thief? If thou believest, thou art in salvation. Again, that's some Victorian sounding English, uh, the King James English. But when he used that word, believest, he was talking about believing in Christ. And Martin Luther actually called his friend out on this. Martin Luther called out Johannes, and he said um, that his friend was antinomian. And this is the first time that we know of in history where this word antinomian is used. And this is a belief that Christians are under no obligation whatsoever to follow a moral law as a rule of life. It's called antinomianism. And this is where it started, at least in the somewhat modern era, within the last five era, that is, within the last 500 years. It's known as antinomianism. But it actually goes back even further than the 1500s. We know uh, from the beginning the church was fighting against this false teaching. And we know it because of the scripture addresses it. In Romans 3.8 it says, And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say. So here in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Paul is saying that he has been accused of teaching God's grace uh, as a means to basically do anything you want. You can be a Christian, you can say that you believe in Christ, but you can do whatever you want. You're not bound to live by any kind of a moral law because you're under grace. In fact, he goes on to state about this false accusation that was coming against him, that those who say these things about him have a just condemnation that's coming their way. And again, in Romans 6, 15, Paul asked a rhetorical question. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it's Paul again. And he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Another version says, all things are not profitable. 
So in verse 13, Paul goes on to tell us that our bodies are not for sexual immorality, but they are for the Lord. And there's so much that I wish I could say to young people, this generation that is coming up. I want to say, you are more than your sexuality. Sexuality is a part of who you are, but it is not what defines you. We are more than our physical bodies. There's more to it than that. And as a Christian, your body belongs to Christ. Now, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it tells us that we have been called to liberty, but that we should use this liberty not to indulge our flesh, but to do what it says, to serve one another in love. What a contrast. You know, this is powerful, powerful stuff when you stop and think about it. And if I could put it another way, Paul is emphasizing here that our justification by grace through faith does not mean that we can pervert it into actively sinning against God and against others. So you may recall from the last episode that I talked about our faith having moral imperatives. I used that phrase, moral imperatives. You see, these certain men were deleting this idea from the Christian life. So even though it is called antinomianism, and um, we get that term from where Martin Luther was calling out his friend for teaching this, we can see from Scripture that this was going on well before the 1500s. So these false, creepy teachers were attempting to alter the idea of Christian liberty. They wanted a license to live carnally. The idea was that if you lust after someone or you lust after something, take it. Do you want money? Get that money. Get it any way you can. Grace will cover you. And I've heard people say, I've heard people use the phrase, this person or that person, so-and-so, well, they're a carnal Christian. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Carnal Christian. Friends, this is not what grace means. It's not what grace means. Being a Christian actually does mean that we will live a certain way. And I want to be clear about this. We don't live that way because we are working for salvation. We don't live that way because I'm trying to earn cool points with God, as I've said before. This isn't about cool points or, you know, you've got a bucket of good deeds and a bucket of bad deeds. And if I fill up the bucket of good deeds and it weighs more than the bad deeds, then I'll be good to go. That's not what this is about. What happens is you get born again. You get regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. He takes a dead man and brings him to life. He takes someone who was full of hate and he fills them with love. He takes someone who was full of bitterness and unforgiveness and he fills them with forgiveness and with grace and mercy. In fact, the grace and mercy that's been poured out on me, I now have a genuine desire to pour that out on others. So you see, there is a moral imperative that comes with being a Christian. I don't get to just throw it all out and 
as we might say, go buck wild, do whatever I want to do, and grace is going to cover it. That's not what grace means. So a great question to ask ourselves is, in what way do we see these things going on in the church today? Great, Jude was writing to the church back then. What's happening today? Well, friends, I would submit that we see wrong teaching concerning God's grace, um, just as we see it happening back in Jude's day, we see it happening in the church today. There were teachers saying Christians were free to live any way they wanted, and somehow grace is a license to pursue sinful desires and live only for yourself, and it takes on a little bit of a different form today, and there certainly is this misunderstanding going on in our churches today, but I would add that we have all kinds of false teachings, um, and I've pointed these things out before. Um, they are within the church, they are outside the church, and they've influenced the church. I've pointed out certain charismatic and Pentecostal teachings, uh, which are not from Scripture, and I can't believe that true Christians fall for it, in all honesty. I was just watching a video. I thought I'd check in on someone that I've kept an eye on for a while now. I want to say the first time I saw him, I, I want to say it was 2007, 2008, this guy named Todd Bentley, a, a hyper-charismatic, completely off-the-wall, pentacrazy, I would call him, charismaniac, um, completely off base in the things that he teaches, the things that he says, supposedly the prophecies that he gives, uh, they're false prophecies, supposedly the things that he has seen and experienced, and so much of this has no basis at all in Scripture. If anything, it is of a um, kundalini um, spirit, if it's of any spirit at all. If it's not fake, it is definitely of a satanic spirit. <clears throat> um, and he's just one example, and I can't believe it, but he's still out there today um, doing his thing, and people give him money, and people listen to what he says, and there's no discernment, and they don't. Uh, and why do they go for it? They go for it because they don't listen to the words of Jude here, where Jude is warning us. Um, you know, I would point out... Um, there are the obvious ones, cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Latter-day Saints, the Church of Christ. And I know that's going to shock many of you, um, but the Church of Christ has gotten a lot of attention in recent years in part because of Duck Dynasty. And, you know, and I would just point out to you that uh, when you dig into the doctrine of the Church of Christ, it is a works-based salvation and I could probably do an entire episode on it but the point is is that there are people who are masquerading as Christians they seem like pretty good people on the surface but their doctrine is not the doctrine of Christ and I will take them on I'll call them out by name I will challenge them not that I'm anybody not that they're watching this or anything but scripturally they are incorrect in their understanding of what it means to be saved. I'd also throw into this group the Oneness Pentecostals. Uh, Oneness Pentecostals, 
I have people in my extended family who've been affected by this, uh, just a truly a damnable doctrine. Uh, they deny the Trinity. And you need to think about that. You might think, oh, it's no big deal. They believe in Jesus. Um, friends, if you're a Christian today who listens to so-called contemporary Christian music on your local family-friendly positive hit radio station, you've probably heard of Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And again, I'm calling them out, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. These are singers who, unless something has changed, and I don't know about it, they are oneness Pentecostals, and they deny the Trinity. Did you know that? Did you know that? They deny the Trinity. So how did we ever get to the place where this kind of an artist is called a Christian and where they get played on so-called Christian radio? We got to this place, at least we got to this place in the West, and I'm American. I know I have listeners and viewers from around the world, um, but I tend to approach things from what I see going on in my culture, where I'm living in the West, and we got to this place in the West because we did not heed the words of Jude. And Jude's not the only one, but this is where we're studying. We're in the book of Jude. And we got here because we allowed false teachers in among us. These creepy, <laughs> false teachers. You know, I just recently watched a documentary series on the Hillsong movement. And maybe you have seen this as well. Um, one of these megastar pastors out of New York. Um, friends... A pastor is not a mega star. And this man has been exposed, um, having an affair, misuse of money, uh, cover-up, all kinds of scandal, all the things that go with it. And I would say to anyone who's watching this or listening to this, and you are a non-believer, I just want to be clear, okay? All these folks that I've listed out, that's not me. <laughs> um a lot of times it all gets lumped into one big ball of, you know, evangelical, um, uh, crazy people. And I would just say, um, take the time to read the scriptures. That is not a representation of who Jesus is. Friends, um, Jesus, if there is going to be a star in your church... <laughs> It's not going to be your pastor. Okay? Christ does not share the spotlight, friends. There's only one king. His name is Jesus. All right? And um, we don't touch the glory of God. You know, we've seen, again, all kinds of things creep into the church. Critical race theory is another thing. Creeping into our churches as a means to, quote, unquote, help us. Help us with the gospel, as if the gospel is not enough. Friends, critical race theory has no place in the church. And I'm just going to tell you, if you've embraced this way of thinking, I'm going to challenge you on it as if you are a Christian. This has no place in your thinking. It is Marxist ideology. It ultimately seeks to overthrow 
the hegemony, if you will, I, I strongly recommend uh, listen to a preacher, teacher, Vodi Bakum. I've never met Vodi. Maybe someday I will get to meet him. I would love to shake his hand. If by some <laughs> crazy chance he happens to hear this or see this, uh, Vodi, even though we don't know each other, you're my brother in Christ, and I would love to just tell you I'd like to shake your hand and, and say thank you for the influence that you've had on my life through Christ by following him and by following his call on your life, you've ministered to me. And now I will tell you folks something about Vodi that you may not uh, understand or you, you may not know this. It may come as a shock and surprise to you. Hear what Vodi Bauckham says about critical race theory and understand when Vodi is telling you these things, Vodi's a black man and I'm a white man. Yet we're unified on something. What are we unified on? Why am I willing to call him my brother even though I haven't met him? Why is it that I would say, I'd love to shake his hand and just say thank you. Why is that? Because of the love of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus changes everything. Are there differences? Sure, we would be foolish to say that there's not differences. There's differences in and skin tone, there's differences in culture, language, um, things that are customs and courtesies that are um, expected and uh, known in certain cultures that would be foreign to me, I would be foreign to them, but there is no reason to hate based on those issues. In fact, I would argue that when Jesus comes in, you begin to celebrate those things and you begin to see those things as a beautiful, wonderful, outstanding, any other word I can think of, awesome, diverse creator who made all of this for his glory. And he has said that he would call people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's every ethnicity. So guess what? There's going to be a lot of folks there on that final day and they don't look and act like I do. <laughs> and I don't look and act like they do, but yet we've been made brothers in Christ. And it's an amazing thing. Critical race theory comes against everything I just said. Critical race theory is here to divide and to conquer, to overthrow the existing culture and whatever culture that may be and replace it with Marxist ideology and that's the truth and if you don't believe me I suggest you read on it uh, read what the authors themselves have written about it and listen to Vody because Vody does a much better job of explaining these things than I just did but we've begun to embrace in the church um, mainstream denominations who would have never embraced these things in the past this whole idea of a woke theology being woke and embracing every kind of sexual perversion that human beings can think of. My friends, this is not of God. This is not of the Holy Spirit. And we need to heed the warning. Not my warning, but Jude's warning. Jude's warning as he's writing under the power and the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So... The second challenge from these false teachers that I mentioned 
was that they basically cast off God's authority. So the first challenge is that they bring a challenge to God's grace. They want to redefine it as a license to do anything they want. The second challenge is that they cast off God's authority. And now would be a wonderful time to introduce you to something called the Granville Sharp Rule. The Granville Sharp Rule. And this is um, a good rule for you to know as a Christian. It would help you in your defense of the faith. And I will give you some examples of that. Stay with me on this. I'm going to take it somewhat slowly. Um, but I want you to notice something here in this verse. The Granville Sharp Rule states that when we have two nouns, two nouns, which are not proper names. Well, you say, what is a proper name? A proper name would be James, Cephas, Paul, Titus. These are proper names. So we've got two nouns that are not proper names. And these nouns are describing a person. And the two nouns are connected by the word and. And the first noun has the article the, T-H-E, while the second noun does not. Both nouns are referring to the same person. And you say, well, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because there are certain verses of scripture that cults would use to say that there's a distinction between the Lord Jesus Christ and God. In other words, they would use certain passages of Scripture to say that Jesus is not God, and they would do this because they are not applying the Granville Sharp rule. Um, you can think of it this way for those of you who are grammar Nazis and you really get into this stuff. I kind of like it, even though I'm not a great speller, I love grammar. Figure that out. I don't understand. But here's one way you can think of it. You have an article, a substantive, then you have the conjunction and, and then it's followed by another substantive. So we have examples of this in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, 2 Peter 1, 1, Ephesians 4, 11. And why is it significant here in Jude verse 4? Well, because we have this phrase, it says, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only Lord, that phrase right there where it says the only Lord, and then it says, and our Lord, those are two nouns connected by the word and and preceded by the article the and they are referring to the same person lord god and lord jesus christ and you say well okay what's the big deal here well this verse this rule applies here and it speaks to the deity of jesus christ in other words this is just another short phrase another scripture which says that Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. So we have these false teachers who were against authority, and they're not just against any authority, 
but they are specifically against the authority of Jesus Christ. False teachers will ultimately end up denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean by this is they do not define him the way that he defines himself in Scripture. They do not see him as king. They create for themselves a God made in the image of man. A God made in the image of man. And contrast this with the attitude that Jude has in the very first verse where he calls himself a bondservant. And go back and listen to that episode where we talked about that word bondservant, to be a bondservant. Think about Jude as one submitted to the authority of Christ. Notice how Jude clearly believes, based on what I just explained, that Jesus is God. And now compare that to a false teacher who views authority with utter disdain. And I would also throw out a word of caution here to those in the non-denominational camp, for those so-called pastors out there who you're out there, you're kind of doing your own thing. You're not submitted to authority. You don't want to submit to authority. And a great question for you to ask if you're attending a non-denominational church, ask your leadership, who do you answer to for your actions? And be careful because you might hear something like, I answer to God, or I answer to a board of elders. Well, that's great. Where did the elders come from? Well, I appointed those elders. Oh, so you, senior pastor, appointed your elders. You handpicked your own elders. And that's who you're going to be submitted to. You see, your pastor, friend, is not an apostle. And there is a role for authority in the Lord's church today. Now, I'm not suggesting anything like the Church of Rome, meaning Roman Catholicism. It's not what I'm talking about here. But I am talking about being submitted to your other brothers and being submitted to them in a way. It's not weakness, friend. Listen to me. It's not a weakness to be submitted to your brothers. In fact, I would suggest that it's a strength because you make yourself open and vulnerable to a group of men uh, who are in submission to God himself within the structure of his church. So submitting to my brother is in a way submitting to God. So just something for you to think about, friend. You need to be accountable to someone for your actions. So false teachers always, always, always end up denying the Bible or they will take a verse and they'll twist it out of context and they'll attempt to pervert it and make it say what they want it to mean. They abandon what is called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, and that's just another big word that simply means there's a correct way to interpret scripture. And this approach is based upon understanding language, uh, historical, as well as literary context. It allows the scripture to stand upon other scripture. And you'll notice that when I do these episodes, I attempt to give you many cross-references so that you can see what's going on in a given passage by comparing it with other passages so that we can define our terms, so that we can know what's being said, and allow the scripture to speak 
for itself and stand upon other scripture. So another thing a false teacher will do is they'll tell you that if you don't receive their teaching that you are not receiving from God because they are God's anointed. And they would even say things like, don't touch God's anointed. I'm God's anointed. I'm his chosen prophet for you. And they'll often speak about some new revelation. And this revelation is often not found in scripture, though they will attempt to twist the scripture and try and make it fit. But friends, I'm just going to tell you straight up. I do not believe in any extra biblical revelation. There isn't anything God is doing. There isn't anything God is doing that is not recorded in scripture. So if someone comes along in your life and they begin to teach you something, and perhaps it's something that you've never heard of it before, you've never heard, it's brand new, and it's not in the Bible, it is simply wrong. It's wrong. Test what they say against the very clear reading of the Bible. Keep it in context. As I've already pointed out, context is key. All this kind of behavior that we're talking about here, it has its roots and not submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. So I want to tie this back to contending for the faith, this concept of contending for the faith. Consider that when someone embraces antinomianism, and remember that's another fancy word, and it means that people are attempting to redefine God's grace, what they really have a problem with is the interpretation of Scripture. When they seek to throw off God's authority, what they are really attempting to do, what the issue really is, is the issue of inspiration of scripture. So redefining God's grace is a problem of interpretation of scripture. Not wanting to submit to God's authority, they really and truly have a problem with the inspiration of scripture. And here's what I mean by all this. If someone desires to live carnally, or they want to cut away those moral imperatives that I was talking about before, all Christians need to live by those moral imperatives, by the way. What they're doing is they are actively interpreting the Bible incorrectly, and they are probably doing it on purpose because they want to pursue the things of the flesh. Most often it has to do with sex, money, and or drugs and alcohol. And I'm painting with broad strokes there, but pretty much you can make it fall into one of those categories, if not all three. So they want to interpret the Bible so that they can do the things that they want to do in those categories of their life. And if they reject the authority of Christ, what they're really saying is that the Bible is not the inspired word of God because God did not really mean what it so clearly states. Jesus is not the authority because the book which claims that he is the authority could not possibly be inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see where this goes? I want to do my own thing, so I'm going to reinterpret the way I want it to be. And I'm going to throw off the authority of Christ in my life because I really don't believe what the Bible says about him anyway because it's not inspired, you see? And so all of this discussion now leads us to the word 
apostasy. After all, I called this particular verse apostasy described. And we don't even find that word apostasy here in this verse. So how did I get to that conclusion, you might ask? Well, friends, the Oxford English Dictionary defines apostasy. I wanted to define this for you. It says, the abandonment or renunciation of a belief or principle. An apostate is a person who renounces a belief or principle having abandoned a belief or principle. You know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, and you've heard me say this before, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So be on guard, friends, for false confessions. There are people who have been taught what I will call easy, easy believism. And by this I mean that people believe that uh, since they prayed a certain prayer, often it's called the sinner's prayer, that somehow they said these magic words and it saves them. And if you've listened to my podcast, you already know how I feel about this. Friends, we ought to confess our sins to the Lord. I'm not saying that we don't pray and confess our sins to the Lord. There's no question about that. Um, we do want him in our life. We do invite him into our life. Make no mistake about it. But do not be fooled into thinking that just because you repeated some words that somehow you've punched your ticket and you're good to go. And maybe you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this video and you've had this tradition. You've been brought up this way. Listen, dear friends, salvation is of the Lord and he does not need your permission to quote unquote come into your heart. You need to let that sink in. The God of the universe is not waiting on you to give him permission to save you. And you need to think about that. <laughs> think about that. The God of the universe doesn't need your permission to do anything. Now, have I asked Jesus into my heart? Absolutely I have. I want him here. He is welcome in my life. I cannot imagine my life without the Savior. But I've, I've said this before, friends. There was something that happened before I prayed any kind of a prayer. There was a radical change where a man full of hate became filled with love. A man with bitterness found forgiveness. There was a heart change when a dead man came to life. And friends, I did not do that. And I in my flesh did not want that. And if you think that you wanted it in your flesh, you are mistaken and you do not understand the regeneration power of the Holy Spirit. You don't understand it. So, uh, kind of got off my notes there because it's hard for me to talk about salvation 
without getting into that. But, you know, if you're not sure where you are with Christ, I would strongly encourage you to get alone with God in prayer and do not, do not give up until it is settled. What am I saying? I'm saying don't be self-deceived. You see, there's more to this than just um, being on guard against false teachers like Jude is telling us. There certainly is. Uh, that is the theme of it here, but there's also an implication for all of us here. And friends, I'd like to read for you a quote that I have from a commentary that I've used, and here's what it says. It says, Is there a verse in the Bible more appropriate for our day than this one? And he's talking about Jude 4. He says, When we talk about certain people taking advantage of God's grace, we need to listen. It is too easy and convenient to assume that when Jude speaks of certain people, he speaks to others, but not to us. But this verse reveals our underbelly. Isn't Jude's trouble with the insiders? Didn't they creep in unnoticed? And in verse 12, aren't they seated at the Lord's table? You see, the truth is this verse unmasks our propensity. Who among us, if left alone by the Holy Spirit for even a single second, might not risk all that heaven holds for a moment of earthly satisfaction? Daily, the temptation is to presume upon grace, and presumption is our greatest sin. This verse belongs to the church. According to Jude, many are heading ever so unwittingly toward condemnation, never having been saved at all. End quote. So with that, dear friends, it is my hope and my prayer that Jesus Christ, the only one true authority, would be honored and glorified in his church. And even in some way, maybe some small way, he will be glorified through this podcast. I hope that those listening to or watching the video will arise by the power of the Holy Spirit and contend for the faith, standing against those who would take advantage of God's grace and standing against those who would dare to refuse the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. And it is in his name that we commit this work to him for his glory. Amen.